Welcome everybody. It's so good to be here with you all. I know that we have an international participant base with us for this session and I'm Molly Rowan Leach. I'm gonna be your host tonight to help um, facilitate some questions and interview with our very special guests and then to also have some interactive time with them as well as a Q&A. So we're really excited to be here with you tonight on behalf of Restorative Justice on the Rise and of course the authors of the little book of Restorative Teaching Tools. Welcome, 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 welcome. I wanna start out by just acknowledging that I'm here in central Colorado on the stolen lands of the Ute and Cheyenne peoples. And I also would like to acknowledge as your host, I do not intend harm or any, anything that would cause um, this space to be anything but inspiring and engaging in a space of voice and choice. So on that note, um, please share your feedback about this session tonight to rjonrise at gmail.com if you wish. Um, I see um, my role as a host as a responsibility and a privilege. So I always enjoy and sincerely want to hear feedback about these learning spaces and times together online. Um, I hope you all are well today, wherever you're coming in from. And we really look forward to this being an exciting and engaging session for you. We're in our 10th anniversary year as Restorative Justice on the Rise, and we're celebrating. And this, like I said a moment ago, is a much overdue session with Lindsay Pointer and Kathleen McGowie. So welcome again to Restorative Teaching Tools for Learning Restorative Practices. Um, a little bit about tonight's agenda. We're gonna start out with about 40 to 45 minutes of dialogue between Lindsay, Kathleen and myself. I'd like to just set a guideline and norm for you that if you have comments and you wanna talk to each other in the chat, please by all means go for it. Um, we really want you to toss ideas together um, and then you'll get uh, plenty of opportunities towards the end of our session tonight to have very direct Q&A with Kathleen and Lindsay. Um, and of course, in between, there's gonna be, um, as promised, cultivating some of the learning needs that we heard from you um, for a direct example of some uh, teaching tools. And they're gonna do a live demo of building a new game or activity based on what you shared. So thank you so much, everybody, for providing your feedback on that. Um, I just wanted to, again, reiterate that this is our 10th anniversary year at Restorative Justice on the Rise. We aim to uh, and have been creating community worldwide. We are honored to work with everybody that we've worked with. We've interviewed people such as Brian Stevenson, Dr. Johan Galtung, um, Fanya Davis, who has, um, is quoted quite a bit um, by Lindsay and Kathleen in the beautiful introduction to the little book of restorative teaching tools and so many more people in this field um, and beyond uh, impacting the dialogue and storytelling around systems change, starting from the personal to the global. Um, so thank you everybody for your participation, your support and for being here. Um, just to point your attention also to the fact that we did have the honor of hosting a discussion series 
a couple years back um, in uh, partnership with CNN and Van Jones's team. There's a discussion series, um, uh, recording series, excuse me, I'm repeating myself, but um, that featured the stakeholders from the Redemption Project each episode. And my co-hosts were Eric Butler of Talking Peace and Belvi Rooks of Growing a Global Heart. And that was an honor to be co-hosting with them. So please visit our website if you haven't already. And that's all I'm gonna say about restorative justice on the rise right now, um, to shine the light on these two amazing women who came together along with Haley Farrar, who is not with us tonight, equally honoring her for authoring the little book of restorative teaching tools. And I know that many of you probably have already reviewed their bios and hopefully even bought a copy of the book. And I'd also like to plug, please review it on Amazon. Um, that helps to get the word out even further than it already has. And at this point, they have 75 reviews from global uh, readers and pretty much a five star review uh, from all those people. So as you, as you can tell, people love this book and for good reason. So I'm gonna share my introduction from the heart of Lindsay and Kathleen, and then I'm gonna ask them if they'd like to say a little bit about themselves as well. But I know Lindsay and Kathleen to be um, both deeply seasoned in hands-on restorative work. In fact, they've, they've, they've both worked in Colorado and New Zealand, I believe, um, are well-versed in, in both the academic as well as the practitioner basis of this work. And as you can see, if you've already peeked into the book, they are beautiful writers and they've integrated so many concepts into this book. Um, what I love most is this. Uh, the whole book is great, but what they do right up front is a very important acknowledgement and um, I wonder if maybe we could just start with that, Lindsay and Kathleen, weaving you in um, and bringing you in as you should uh, to join this conversation tonight. Could you say a little bit about yourselves and why this acknowledgement was so important to you? And welcome everybody, if you're just joining. Hi, Kathleen. Hi, Lindsay. So good to have you here. Thanks so much, Molly, and thanks so much for, for having us here, and happy 10th anniversary of RJ on the Rise. It's a lot of, a decade of amazing material, so we do. Yeah, <laughs> and happy Earth Day, everybody. Yeah, happy Earth Day. Happy Earth Day. Every day Thank is to celebrate. <laughs> um, but yes, I, then thank you for that warm introduction. I think, um, and I'm sure Kathleen will have more to add, but it was important for us, you know, I think we've been lucky to be able to approach restorative justice from a few different perspectives as, you know, practitioners, researchers, um, myself, I'm kind of more in the academic space now, uh, but acknowledging also the huge limiting factors in our perspective and um, the importance of cultivating that sort of self-awareness is something that we wanted to really highlight in the book as being particularly important when you're sharing this work with others um, is knowing what perspective am I coming from and um, where are my blind spots? You know, How can I be constantly a learner even as I'm in the role of teacher or trainer? Um, and so it was important to us as we were writing the book to also be doing that to the best of our abilities uh, like we do when we're teaching and training. 
Thank you so much. And, and Uh-oh, got a little feedback there. <laughs> um, just, I, I meant to mention too, thank you, Lindsay, that we are recording this and this, this uh, Zoom session will be sent out to all of you after we conclude tonight. And please expect, we'll probably go closer to two hours tonight, right, Lindsay and Kathleen, just in case um, we have extra Q&A that we wanna do with everybody here. Um, it will also drop on the podcast, but for people who registered, this is gonna be, um, you're gonna get the first glimpse of the recording. Um, and please feel free to pass it along and share it with your immediate community. Um, I, I would also like to acknowledge my white privilege and that I have a huge responsibility in my role as well. And I love, again, how you frame the beginning of the book. Um, it's so important that we see um, whatever comes our way in these spaces as an honor and an opportunity for growth. So thank you both. And I just want to hand it over to you, Kathleen. What would you like to share about yourself? Um, because your bios are so stunningly amazing. Um, let's share a little bit from the heart to allow people to connect with us tonight. Thanks. Thanks so much, Molly. And thank you everyone who's here this evening. It's such an honor to be part of RJ on the rise and celebrating the 10th anniversary on Earth Day. And yeah, I will just um, round out what Lindsay shared by saying that uh, there's an, an element of um, the, a thread through our whole book about engagement and this idea that none of us are coming to this work as the end-all be-all expert on everything restorative. And that is the gift of engaging with learners in this interactive experiential way is uh, where those of us who might identify as teachers or facilitators are also asked explicitly to come into this space with humility and love and compassion for our learners and ourselves and meet each other in the space from a place of willingness to, to learn and to listen. Uh, the beginning of the book starts with talking about restorative pedagogy, which really emphasizes it's not just about what we're doing, it's the spirit of how we're doing it. And so, um, yeah, I, it, it's such a delight to get to do that with Lindsay. There's a lot of joy and ease in the way that we collaborate. And um, that's what we're here to share with you this evening. Thank you so much, Kathleen. And I just want to give a shout out to you, Kathleen, um, as I think you just wrapped up over a decade tenure at one of Colorado's longest running community restorative justice programs, right? The Longmont Community Justice Partnership, which was um, originally co-founded by Cappy Hall and Dr. Beverly Title, one of my late mentors. And I believe the two of you also worked closely with BB. Is that correct? So just, just yeah. her into the space, honoring Dr. Beverly Title, who um, also is the author of this extraordinary book that I'm holding right here. So um, honoring her spirit. And I wondered if we could just jump right into the interview section of tonight. Um, like I said, if you're just joining us too, welcome. We're gonna be doing some discussion between the three of us for a bit. And then we're gonna dive into um, the teaching tools based on your learning 
feedback that you provided at registration and then go into some Q&A directly with you. So, uh, but don't hesitate to throw in questions and do some talking in the chat, uh, please, by all means. We want this to be lively and interactive tonight. So Kathleen and Lindsay, let's start out with the inspiration and motivation for writing this book. Yeah, as you mentioned, Lindsay and I both had the honor of working at a, a pioneering community-based nonprofit in Longmont, Colorado called Longmont Community Justice Partnership or LCJP. And while we were there, uh, we were working together on developing training courses for the volunteers who really drive the community restorative justice program in Longmont, which uh, operates in partnership with police. And we had learned from one of our colleagues, Laura Snyder, about the value of teaching in an experiential way. We realized that if we were having a good time and being challenged in a learning environment, probably our volunteers were also going to be having a good time and also expanding their skills and their capacity in this space. So I actually, I actually did not get to uh, um, follow a Fulbright Fellowship to New Zealand, which both Lindsay and Haley did after their tenure at LCJP. But I did have the honor of visiting them there. And it was on that visit, we were on this wild adventure on the South Island and they said to me, I was, I was the executive director of LCJP at the time. And they said, you know, who's recording the amazing work coming out of LCJP? And I said, oh, you know, it's kind of hard to <laughs> be the executive director and be publishing at the same time. And they said, well, let's just do it together. And so not a year later, Lindsay and I were starting to work on an article that was published in the International Journal of Restorative Justice about the same topic. And then from there, had the idea to propose a little book. Uh, and it was just so exciting and such an honor to be part of the little book series um, and to collaborate on creating that and pull, pull from our experience and be able to share that with the broader community. Thank you, Kathleen. And, and in that same introduction that I am in love with, um, you speak to something really powerful around um, how colonized systems and you know, our kind of cerebral way of you know, doing two or four, like in our presentation styles, is one of the big gaps. And I know we're gonna go into that you know, later on tonight, but I just wanna pinpoint that as being one of the special aspects right off the bat in the book that you, you really speak to that in a way that um, you know, is, is super important um, and how teaching tools and how your, your games can help to build relationship before you go into the deeper aspects of this very difficult work. This is, there, there's, there's, no question about um, this being challenging, very challenging work and deeply rewarding at the same time. So thank you for that. And I'm gonna hand it back over to Lindsay um, now and thanks Kathleen. Um, Lindsay, what, what are you feeling you'd like to share is most important about your path 
um, in you know, being inspired and motivated to write the little book of restorative teaching tools. Oh, and uh, please unmute. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's not a Zoom engagement if you don't forget at least once. <laughs> so thanks, Molly. Um, just real quick, I, I wanted to pick up on something you were just saying, Molly, and, and to add that you know, I think one of my favorite things to do in starting conversations about restorative pedagogy is to put um, a picture of a courtroom, like a standard courtroom setup next to a standard classroom setup. And you know, just kind of raise the point that, hey, if we wanna dismantle that hierarchy, we need to dismantle this one as well in the spaces that we're teaching people about restorative justice that we're endeavoring to share this really powerful transformative work. Um, so I think both, both like classroom and educational spaces and justice spaces, um, you know, are, are, are colonized spaces that, that do a lot of harm to people and particularly um, people whose voices are marginalized. And so thinking about that as a parallel uh, has felt really important. Um, but you know, I think just one thing I'll add uh, to the the story Kathleen has shared, which it was it was a fun um, adventure around New Zealand, kind of hatching up these ideas. Uh, but also, you know, for me, so I went to New Zealand first for a full time, um, and then stayed to do my PhD studies, and you know, was starting to read some of the incredible work that different restorative. Um, you know, advocates, practitioners, uh, scholars have done on thinking about this question of how do we teach people restoratively? How can we um, formulate a restorative pedagogy? And just recognizing, hey, this work that we've been doing with games and activities that is so alive and well at LCJP and that, you know, Haley and I have been able to take into some of our training and classroom spaces um, in New Zealand uh, does this so well. It kind of breaks down that hierarchy. It creates a really natural opportunity for relationship. Um, it kind of infuses restorative values in this really natural, fun way. Um, and so recognizing, you know, this is something really special that we want to share these specific games and activities and it's in alignment with this conversation, this really important conversation that's happening in the field. Mm. Wonderful, thank you so much. And um, I'm wondering uh, really like central to the book is the idea that we should strive to teach restorative practices in a way that is in alignment with restorative values. Uh, <laughs> why is that so important? <laughs> I, I'll start on that one just since um, that's a little bit what I was just speaking to, um, you know, touching on it. It feels like um, first, you know, my experience at least has been is that you need to experience restorative justice to really get it. And I think a lot of people say that, um, that you kind of need to have a feeling of what that circle can do, what really breaking down um, those hierarchies and really having a space where there's equal voice, equal respect, um, an opportunity for stories to unfold, what that's capable of, you kind of have to be in it to really fully get it. Um, and so I think one of the great things about using activities, using games, is you can kind of simulate that experience, even if they aren't actually sitting in a restorative justice process. Um, and obviously people already do that with circles in trainings and classrooms all the time, but this is just giving us more ways to cultivate that relationship, that equal voice, that then gives that experience of what a restorative space feels like, uh, which is just deeper learning than kind of watching a PowerPoint presentation or a lecture when you're actually in it and feeling what it's like to be in a restorative experience. 
Mm, thank you. Kathleen. And, and Kathleen, um, just hold tight on that. Um, I I'd like to, on that note, do some acknowledgement of who's here tonight. Uh, I'd love to start with our friends in India. I know Arlene is here from India. We have uh, Joy from Des Moines, Iowa, uh, Pepper, Duwamish Land in Seattle. We have uh, Jeannie from Northern California, stolen home of Miwok and Southern Pomo. Happy Earth Day. Uh, bring her ancestors and First Nations from the Kekapu River Valley in Wisconsin and Wabash River in Illinois. She says she's a restorative specialist for a K-12 district. It's great to have you here. Shout out to you and the Santa Rosa people. Uh, Monica from South Lyon, Michigan. Ashley from Dayton, Ohio. She's a teacher and excited to learn about restorative practices and justice and teaching. Thank you. And um, Kirsten, Kirsten, um, Cranston, Rhode Island, land of the Wampanoag and Narragansett peoples. Hi, Kirsten. Good to have you here tonight. And Tom, home of Lakota in Wisconsin, Anishabnab, excuse me, Anishinaabe, and many others. Um, and Arn, welcome. Um, enjoying generous, inclusive attitude. And I believe, Arn, are you from Estonia? I believe. I just want to really welcome you in. Um, it's so good to have you here. Thank you. And, yes, it's great to see you. I'm glad you made it. <laughs> and Sean, welcome from Los Angeles, California, indigenous home to the Gabrielino Tangva peoples. Um, and Christina, Salt Spring Island, British Columbia, traditional territory of the Samish. Koichan and Shemina's First Nations. And of course, forgive me for my mispronunciations. Um, and we'll come back and, and uh, speak to more of our beautiful people here tonight um, shortly. Kathleen, let's, let's come back to you and let's talk a little bit about the bridging the gap between values and practice that your book is helping to do beautifully. Thanks, Molly. Thanks for welcoming so many folks into the space by name as well. Yeah, I would just add to what Lindsay said by by naming that in, I'm I mean, so good to know that folks are tuning in from all over the world tonight. And I think in so many cultures, our, our systems, our schools, our structures are just inherently filled with this paradigm around punishment. It's, it's not even necessarily a, a choice that we make, but we're raised with this, these ideas. Many of us, not all of us are raised with these ideas of the only way forward to change behavior or to right a wrong is to resort to punishment. And that's a paradigm that restorative practices is really striving to challenge and shift and change. And yet it's, it's necessary to acknowledge that that's, a, a, that's an ongoing effort to really identify how ingrained it is uh, in, in the constructs that we live in and therefore some of the ideas that we internalize about how to be with each other. 
And so if we can infuse the restorative values, not just into, you know, apply it to the circle, apply it to the restorative justice program, but infuse it in, in every environment that we're in, that's the way that I imagine that we'll begin chipping away at that paradigm that we're all being subjected to all the time and start reimagining what's possible. And um, the restorative values uh, that are available to us are energizing. They're, 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 um, they bring back more respect and centralized relationship in a way that I think also speaks to the innate ways of humankind, and yet it's easy to lose sight of them. So uh, there's this great opportunity in a learning environment to really, really deepen and prioritize those values. Mm. You know, it's it does appear given um, just even in the past two years, I believe, and not just here in North America, but globally, this movement has grown exponentially and we're seeing so much dedication in this field, um, each of you included. And so this part is one of the biggest areas that I, I really believe your book speaks to. It's the, one of the biggest gaps is, okay, how do we practice what we preach really? Um, and how does that also become a way of being and seeing for us personally? Um, my, my other added kind of impromptu question here tonight on this, this particular point would be how do we create voice and choice um, and a feeling of welcomeness um, that addresses you know, the multicultural um, representation in, in not only online spaces, but wherever we're, you know, wherever we're gathering restoratively. Um, it's so important to not misuse, for example, the word safety, um, that restorative justice is not inherently safe. Um, can you guys speak to like, what are the important pieces, especially for those of us who are white privileged to be doing and, um, and sharing together in our communities to ensure intersectionality and, and voice choice? And thank you for allowing me to, to bring that impromptu question in. <laughs> That's great. Such an important question. Um, yeah, I think, and that's an, an endless learning for all of us. I would hope I know at least it is certainly for me. Um, but I think in my mind, the more that we can be approaching teaching and training as we approach facilitating. So um, we're able to bring in voice and choice because we're not really delivering the content or telling people what should be, we're just setting up um, the space and uh, kind of facilitating an experience, a, um, a dialogue that then allows for the real wisdom and what is really being taken away from the experience to be coming from um, the people in the group so that you're really just setting up that um, it's same as same as you're doing in a, in a circle or a restorative justice conference. 
But I would say along with that, in the same way that it's so necessary to do um, debriefing with your co-facilitator when you're facilitating, it is so necessary to debrief your teaching and training experiences and think about um, when, you know, when were the points that I was really living up to my intention to approach this as a facilitator to be um, embodying restorative values and really uh, releasing my own power to then, um, you know, create space for the voice of others. And where did I fall short? Because there's going to be a few places at least every time. Um, and having, you know, committed um, folks who are similarly committed to that work that you're teaching with or training with um, in the same way that, you know, folks that you're facilitating with is just so valuable because then you can help help each other see your, your spaces to grow. Um, which is a lovely process to go through with Kathleen. I've, I've really enjoyed that um, every time we've gotten to do that together. Um, and so I would say that's that's been kind of the key things for me is that facilitator mindset and then always debriefing, always thinking through what went well and what, what needs um, further growth. Mm, thank you so much. Kathleen, you wanna to add to that? Thanks, thanks, thanks Lindsay for the shout out. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's so crucial to be humble enough to admit that we don't know what we don't know. And how, how can we bring willingness to be confronted with things that are hard to hear, right? Lindsay and I uh, and Haley in this book really emphasize what Lindsay just shared is how to build that brave space different from a safe space. One of the ways to do that is to model as trainers or teachers that I am willing to admit that I don't know everything and I am willing to hear feedback and adjust how I'm, how I'm sharing information or how I'm leading an experience. Uh, we include a really exceptional um, tool from Barb Taves in the book that even invites students and learners to provide their feedback, their reflection to the teachers or trainers to say, hey, what was missing or what didn't land so well or what could have been done differently? And that is a really important way for that intersectionality to come to light, to say, you know, my, my view and my experience is always going to be limited. And I am always going to be willing to hear and engage in that feedback cycle. That was something that we learned at LCJP is from our volunteers, from our participants, we will hear the feedback and integrate it. Our evaluations don't come back and end up dusty in some drawer. <laughs> if we receive feedback, we look at it and we reflect on it and we ask ourselves questions. And if we don't get it, we ask for help. Uh, and so that honesty and transparency is, I think, really a starting point um, to enter into a more authentic process uh, that allows that diversity of voices and needs to be expressed. Mm. I'm also hearing something really critical from the two of you, and that's the ways in which we build the spaces together. Um, so after the fact, you have your debriefs and feedback systems, but you're also actively engaging those who will be showing up with you in how you're creating the guidelines and norms for the space. Is that correct? 
so that they they have direct input and review of how we're going to move together, whether it's a, a conflict related circumstance or it's a celebration uh, or community building circle. Is that, is that true? Do you want to add anything to that? Because I, that, that's the part that I really love too about what I'm, I'm hearing from you and seeing in the book. Yeah, uh, one kind of more recent experience I'll just share because I've been just so enjoying this process. So I'm now um, with the National Center on Restorative Justice at Vermont Law School, and we have a master's in restorative justice. And we've just been going through this process of reconsidering our program learning outcomes. So what should someone who goes through our master's um, come out with on the other side? You know, what, what's important to learn, to experience, to value, to do um, if you're going to you know, pursue this higher uh, study of restorative justice, higher like academic study of restorative justice. Um, and uh, it's been really interesting because how we went about that was just holding circle processes and asking the students, but also different community practitioners, you know, what feels important and really, you know, unpacking some of the difficult dialogues around um, how can we make sure while these masters in restorative justice are um, emerging around the country that this doesn't become um, a, a, a profession with a lot of like professional barriers, like certification needs that we're still um, equally honoring, you know, um, community practitioners who were trained in different ways while also creating a program that is um, really valuable to those who want to do the master's. And it was awesome because the program learning outcomes that we uh, came out with at the end are just a million times better, cooler, deeper, richer um, than the ones that you know were kind of our first stab as a team. Things that you know I never could have uh, come up with um, were surfaced through the circles, just with different stakeholders. And we had our faculty in those as well, and kind of tried to um, have as much of a reach as possible. So uh, that was just one kind of recent example of that front-end work that you're talking about, Molly, of like, how can we, yeah, co-design the learning experience at the beginning too, um, which is something, it's a space that I'm personally excited to, to learn and experiment more with of, you know, how in like individual courses, for example, to do even more of that beyond just kind of the circle for establishing norms as a group, which is really important too, but. Wonderful. Um, Kathleen, anything to add on that further? I think just, you know, in any, in any of these contexts uh, that like what Lindsay just shared, and I think what you were um, touching on Molly, that yeah, there's, there's a, a great reference available online about building brave spaces. And the one method for doing that is to use a circle to invite people to create the norms or guidelines or whatever ground rules, whatever um, term you're going to use for how people can, can show up best in the space. And that, that buy-in that that creates when I get to voice what I need to be able to be respected and heard and also to participate in a respectful way with others, I think is, is always a great idea, especially because in some of this work that in our book, you know, there's risk taking. People are sharing vulnerably. They're going to say things that likely other people don't agree with. Uh, we invite people to share their personal stories. 
Um, you know, that's part of circle process. And so being able to have those norms that are alive, that can be referenced back to because everyone helped construct them to create them can really help to cultivate that brave space and invite people to continue coming back and sharing honestly and vulnerably. It reminds me a bit too of um, one of my mentors, Kay Pranis, um, and many of you, you know, love her as much as I do, I'm sure. Um, she, she always shares about the idea of being the model and example of vulnerability. So um, as a facilitator, giving the opportunity to be that, that model of setting a space in a certain way um, as the lead or co-facilitator or however um, you're setting your spaces up. I think that's so beautiful. And I also hear that from uh, my friend and colleague, Eric Butler from Talking Peace, that, that that's um, a beautiful method um, depending, you know, of course, on the appropriateness of the space and at what stage you're at in relating and getting to know one another. But there's certain people that would say, jump right into the vulnerability as a facilitator. Um, so I know we have uh, a little bit more time for some questions, and then we're going to go into some fun um, game building uh, based on the, the learning needs that were submitted from our community here tonight. Um, but let, let's get back to a couple more questions. Could we do that? Yeah, and I just wanna honor too, um, Mr. Ronald English is here tonight with us from, uh, from Charleston, West Virginia, the NAC, NAACP. Uh, Mr. English is also um, Dr. King's former ministerial assistant and doing a lot of important work with the local community there. And it's always an honor to have him with us. So thank you for being here, Ron. Um, so Lindsay and Kathleen, um, let's talk a little bit about the games and activities as being a great way to teach restoratively. And why is that? So either of you could start it. We've touched on a few, a few reasons already. And I, I'll just kind of pull from what I was just saying, which is, there's this element of risk-taking, right? As you said, Molly, uh, when we're in, say, a restorative justice space or just a hard conversation of any sort, there's a lot of pressure and heat in the moment, especially if you're the person who's the circle keeper, the facilitator, uh, you know, knowing how to respond to the infinite types of dynamics that can show up. We can simulate, like Lindsay said earlier, the heat of the moment by placing people in that same sort of pressure, but in a game. And so that helps people to take those risks to try out, you know, what do I do when I sense that someone is becoming really reticent to speak or all of a sudden we're kind of getting off track and the direction of responsibility that we thought we were going in, or maybe a parent is becoming really protective in the circle. And what, what can I do? What can I say to try to keep everybody present in the circle? Uh, the games and activities create an environment that's outside of that heat and yet still puts a little pressure and also creates a, a teamwork environment where people can chime in and share with each other. You know, here's what I might try. Why don't we try this? 
Uh, and that also then encourages that learning together environment. Also, Lindsay mentioned earlier flattening hierarchy, which is you know something that I think we're all responsible for as restorative practitioners to be looking at how do we decolonize the learning environment? How do we share the space and say, you know, even if I'm an adult and I'm working with a group of youth, really valuing the experiences and wisdom of those young people. Many of these activities, you can easily incorporate participants to be say the judges, sometimes we have judges in, in the game or a co-facilitator, ask them to start the game with a question that they've come up with. And I can then take a step back and participate instead of acting as the person who is going to be the expert leading the activity. And finally, a third reason I'll say is that these, these games and activities will deepen the community They'll deepen the community of volunteers that you're working with, students that you're working with. Uh, and so not only are people learning and building the, the capacity together, but they're also connecting and getting to know each other better, which is inherent to having a restorative community, right? Relationship first. We want people to be learning about each other. We want people to feel that sense of belonging uh, and understand what it really means to be seen and heard in a learning environment. Mm, beautiful, thank you. Um, I just wanna stop again to honor Brenda. It's so good to have you here with us this evening. Brenda Morrison, she says greetings from next Wilexum, Bowen Island, the traditional unceded territory of the Squishmish nation. And Brenda, maybe you can help me with the pronunciation if you'd like to chime in. And she says she's grateful to live, work, and play on these traditional lands as a settler. And just honoring Brenda, um, thank you so much from the heart for your contributions for so many decades to this field. It's great to have you with us. Um, maybe at the Q&A time, you can help me with my pronunciation. So Lindsay, anything to add to that part um, around the teaching tools? Uh, just one small thing to add, um, in addition to everything that, that Kathleen highlighted so beautifully. Um, personally, my other kind of primary area of research in the restorative justice field is looking at ritual studies and understanding the restorative justice process as a ritual and seeing, you know, what, what can ritual theory tell us about um, what makes restorative justice an effective transformative space? How can it kind of improve our practice of this work? Um, and there's all sorts of interesting parallels that have been drawn between ritual and play um, and how both ritual and play and games um, and theater, things like that, um, create kind of this space outside of normal everyday life. Um, and so in that space, we have this ability to kind of release our kind of normal roles, rules, um, ways of social engagement and try on a different way of engaging with one another that tends to be a way that's a little bit more focused on how we are so deeply interconnected. Um, so I think there's also this kind of deeper hidden work um, in play spaces that is happening where um, greater potential for what sort of ideas or transformation of thinking or new relationships um, are possible and can emerge because of that kind of 
different type of social space that's created by these human activities like ritual, like play, like theater. Um, so just from you know my own, this is cool <laughs> space, I really love um, just noticing that, that parallel as well. Mm. Thank you for weaving that part in. That's really beautiful. And it's such a universal connecting point too, which I think that's the root of, of this book and, and your hearts and work as well, isn't it? I mean, what's universal? And I heard being seen, heard, acknowledged, and of course play and different ways and modalities in which we can reach one another. So thank you, Lindsay. Thank you so much. And I know we're gonna move into um, the, the next segment here in a minute. But I don't want us to forget um, to talk about your favorite games. Um, maybe you could talk about that once we go into um, the segment that we're about to move into. But I think it would be probably useful for everyone to hear a little bit more about um, teaching online. Mm -hmm. And um, we know that, I mean, obviously you're able to use games and activities over Zoom. But what would you like to say about that specifically? What are some of your challenges that you are seeing and how are you moving through those perhaps? And, and just in general about this work online. Um, I can start. So, you know, I think it was not long before the pandemic hit that we had made this commitment to start releasing a new game or activity each month. Um, and so we were really excited about that, excited about the kind of monthly push for new creativity. And then suddenly we're in this space where nothing, you know, like all of us were, nothing was happening in person. Most of our games and activities were designed for in-person trainings or classroom experiences. And so had this sort of um, experience that I think was shared by many people around the world of, oh shoot, I need to figure out how to do things online. Um, and I would say our experience has been, and I know I've heard this um, similarly expressed by others as well, so much more is possible online than we thought um, in terms of finding different ways to engage and um, highlight different people's voices um, in, you know, in a Zoom space. And so we've had a lot of fun adapting some of our favorite in-person games to be used over Zoom or other video platforms and designing new ones um, to kind of fit the moment. And that I know was a learning need or a need that was identified by quite a few people in the, um, the form that Molly sent out. Um, so wanna just highlight that our website, which I see that you just put in, um, in the chat, thank you so much for doing that, Molly, uh, has quite a few activities and games now that have both an online version and an in-person version. Um, and so we're not gonna we're not gonna choose that for the need that we'll design on because I think we're also feeling ready at this point to like start having a few more things in person as 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 we're reaching this point that you know that becomes more possible. Um, but it it was exciting, I will say, to to learn how many could be adapted really well um, or designed anew for the online space. Kathleen, want to add? I'd love to, I'll just add that the, the, thing of, the thing that often gets missed when we're all staring at these little boxes all day is the, the kinesthetic connection, like that feeling of being together in the room, my body somewhere near your body. And so 
one of the things that you'll see in a number of our games is some, some element of movement. You know, there's a scavenger hunt game where we tell people like run around your house and find a bunch of things. Um, there's something about trying to go into breakout rooms, bringing people back together, having a shift, right? Like that's not as kinesthetic, but at least it's changing the format and giving people a chance to share in a different space and then come back together. So yeah, I would just really encourage everybody to take a look at our website. We're, everything is free and available to you. And also on that note, we are really interested in your experience using the material. We are open to your feedback, open to your questions or ideas. We also love when we were sending out those monthly games, we took a small pause, but when we get back to it, we also love to try to highlight somebody else's game or activity that you've developed uh, and tried out. So, so please um, engage with us. We, we are learning alongside you. And that's one of the reasons that we wanted to share everything online so that you could use it, adapt it, tell us how it's going. And, um, you know, hopefully we can keep growing from that, from your, from, you know, this big community effort. That's beautiful. And we'll make sure that we get um, information out to everybody here and then um, to everyone who registered tonight, how to get directly in contact to, to provide your experiences, right? Um, do you want to just say a little bit about that really quickly while we're on the topic? Um, do you have an email that you want to type in or should people just uh, catch you at restorativeteachingtools.com? I think there's a form there, right? For, for contacting. Yeah, yeah, if you just go to restorativeteachingtools.com, there's contact form. You can sign up to receive our game of the month, and then you can just re reply to those emails directly as well as what a lot of people do. But yeah, we love when we hear how it went, you know, changes you made or learning needs that you're wanting a new game or activity designed for. Um, that really, uh, we love that, that interaction, like Kathleen said. And that's obvious. And I loved the way that we worked this event tonight together with you all. Um, it was really rewarding to welcome your needs and experiences in. And we're about to get to that part. <laughs> the one last thing I'd love for you two to just touch on really quickly, I think would be really important for people to, to know. Um, how do you make this approach work with different age groups? Because I know there's educators of many developmental age ranges, age ranges with us tonight. So just say a few words about that. Yeah, we really encourage anyone who's going to go out and say, go for it, you know, try these games out to adapt, think, think critically and adapt each game or activity according to the developmental stage of your learners, um, their familiarity with restorative practices. And, you know, honestly, with a lot of, a lot of these games that we've used, what I found is that uh, okay, so we have a universal rule that as you're playing the game, if it's too easy, you have to add another rule to make it harder. That's part of skill development. That's part of risk taking. And Lindsay and I have regularly experienced that often when we're working with middle to high school students, they are adapting more quickly to the rules. They need harder rules, more frequent rules, because they're just knocking it out of the park 
at every turn. Uh, what I've noticed often with adults is that they need a little bit more time. They need a little bit more gentleness and space because they're working through a lot of their own uh, fears or patterns or resistance that, that they didn't even know that they had. I think that uh, in a lot of our, our younger participants, there's that beautiful neuroplasticity where the brain is adapting quickly. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, some of the some of the folks who wrote in about the younger, younger age groups, like the littles elementary school, you know, the language will need to be changed. Maybe you're going to ask a different kind of question. Maybe you're not going to be using the word responsibility right off the bat. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's so many ways to adapt this. Also the ability level, if you have folks that, um, aren't able to move throughout the room physically, how can you adapt the game? We, we give some suggestions about ad making adaptations to be as inclusive as possible. Um, similarly, uh, different, um, different capacities around like, if, it, if you need to have more visual cues, if you need more audio cues, um, it's hard for us to create an, a variation for every single need level, uh, and yet we, we think it's possible. And of course, again, if, it, if you're stuck, please reach out so that we can brainstorm with you to try to make those changes. Lindsay, you want to add to that? Thank you, Kathleen. I was going to say, maybe we, we jump into our game design because one of the learning needs that came up a few times from folks was how to, how to do this work with really little children, like kindergartners, first grade. Um, and we were going to play with that idea a little bit. So it might be a good segue. Well, let's, let's go ahead and seg. And I just want to acknowledge everybody that I haven't yet, that we haven't yet been able to acknowledge. There's so many wonderful people here tonight. So be patient with me as host tonight. I wanna to make sure everybody gets a chance to be acknowledged. Um, we're so grateful to have you here. And I also would like to just give a shout out to Lindsay and Kathleen's um, trainings that you'll also find online um, at their website. And of course, so many free resources on the website as well. And that's where they'd love to um, also hear from you. So I'm gonna go ahead and hand it back over to you both. And um, did you want to invite anybody that has questions right now um, to put them in the chat yet? Or should we wait and do that at, at Q&A time? Just, just checking in I with think the of you. People, people are welcome to put their questions in the chat now. I think we'll, we'll go, we'll focus on designing the game because that's also our invitation to you is to take that step and think about what your learning need is. And, and we want to work with you, support you in creatively coming up with an, a game or activity to address that learning need. Um, and then we can reference back to questions after we complete that activity. Perfect. So we'll, we'll slide on into the game designing process. And of course, um, so exciting that you're going to actually design a new game based on the feedback that we learned from you all. So thank you so much and take it away. Thanks. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and share a slide just for a moment here because we wanted to kind of ground this conversation 
in the basic steps that we use when we're thinking through designing a new game or activity. Um, so I'm gonna just pull this up real quick. So just to briefly touch on this, and this is in the book and we, we talk about each of these steps um, in more depth. And of course it's not the end all way to go about this work, but it's been helpful to us. Um, so the first step being something we've talked quite a bit about already tonight, cultivating that self-reflection, that willingness to always be a learner. Um, it's something we talk about in the book and, and love to be in kind of community of practice around with folks. So um, always, always open to further conversations about the importance of that as a restorative practitioner, educator, um, and, and helping each other in that important work. And then step two is what you all helped us with um, is identifying the need. What is um, what is something that my classroom or my community group that I'm doing training with or my students, um, you know, what is something that this community is needing a deeper dive into? You know, is it um, a basic understanding of restorative philosophy? Is it a specific skill like making reflective statements and active listening um, and thinking about what is the learning objective? You know, because this is we're really talking about pedagogical exercises here. What am, what am I trying to create an experience for learning? Um, and so we got so many great learning needs from you all and we're grateful we, we keep that list because when we go um, and do our games of the month, that's, that's the material we're using is what are we hearing from the community as, as common needs that come up. So we're gonna just focus in on one of those um, in this game design activity that came up a few times, but uh, know that we're gonna keep those and would love to keep just having that discussion with you all. Um, and then the next step is just trying to unlock your creativity, thinking about what models, what metaphors um, could be used. So for example, you know, we have um, one game that is supposed to help you know, people think about needs, like the needs behind behavior that uses a model from New Zealand called Te Whare Tapafa that um, is kind of a model of the kind of four walls of human need um, and how they relate to each other. Um, so then we design a game around that model because it's a really good conceptual tool to try to play with this idea and really apply it to real life. Um, Metaphor, you know, we have another game called Out of the Box that's um, for thinking of creative out of the box agreement ideas where people are literally trying to get out of a physical box. Um, so trying to think of like, how can I make this fun? How can I bring in something creative and exciting? Um, and then designing the experience. How are people going to interact with that metaphor, that model? Um, how am I going to make this a game and activity? Um, and then thinking about the debrief. What are the debrief questions I'm going to use? How am I going to run that debrief? You know, Where am I gonna take the dialogue into a deeper space through my questions? Um, how might I share kind of uh, control of that debrief space with other people um, in, the, in the classroom or training? And then review and improve always, which I won't go into too much because we already talked about that a bit um, as well, that kind of debriefing experience. So should we get into it, Kathleen? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's go for it. <laughs> Our live game design sounds great. So, so one of the things that uh, Nancy mentioned to you that we saw a lot of was, um, you know, this, this question about adapting for age and especially uh, for the little ones. And we, we really like that question because, um, you know, it's been my experience locally here in Colorado, there's been a lot of work done with restorative practices starting at 
say like sixth grade and higher into high school. And I think there's growing awareness that really we want to shift that thinking and start earlier uh, and engage with young children around these restorative values that we can actually um, introduce circle practice at a younger age, introduce the idea that, oh, if if I'm hurt by Lindsay or I don't like what Lindsay's doing, that I could I could use my words to speak to Lindsay directly and that Lindsay could have some comfort with taking responsibility. We could have some skills and some facility ourselves without having to run to an adult. And so um, one of the things that we saw specifically was how, how do we work with kindergarten age? Uh, and Lindsay, and Lindsay is now a mother of a young, young person. So she brings that perspective and wisdom. Uh, and we have some colleagues here who work with pre-K and K restorative practices. And so we thought we would go in that direction. Um, I also just want to mention that there was another learning need around um, working with non-native English speakers. And because this, this game that we're going to design tonight um, helps with language development and, and expansion of vocabulary, that it might also be a good fit for some people who are still in the process of learning English. So um, another reason that we were excited to see that learning need um, when we were going through what had been submitted yesterday uh, was uh, a colleague of ours and a friend of mine, Joan Showerman, who's here in Colorado, who's a preschool teacher who does amazing restorative practices and circle keeper work with her students. Um, I had just recently been talking to her and she had been talking about how um, she, like many circle keeper practitioners, uh, uses with her preschool students these um, faces uh, that express different emotions. And they're just really simple cards um, with different you know, forms of happy, sad, angry, scared, surprised. Um, and she'll have these preschoolers use these faces and point to these faces as a way to identify and talk about you know, how they're feeling in the circle. Um, and I thought that was really lovely. Uh, like Kathleen mentioned, I have an almost two-year-old and an eight-week-old. <laughs> and so I um, am in this kind of early childhood space right now, just personally, and doing a lot of talking about emotions with my almost two-year-old. One of her favorite things to do is to read um, stories together and to identify, um, like point to the characters in the pictures and, and say how they're feeling. Um, you know, are they worried? Are they excited? Um, are they sad? And, uh, and that's been a really uh, interesting thing to her right now. Uh, so that was kind of the model that um, sparked something for us. And, and we thought we would bring um, to, this, to this conversation tonight as, as something, as a starting point for a possible activity um, development with really little kids, with kindergartners. Um, so, so we're kind of you know, in between steps three and four here, right? Of thinking about um, how do we wanna then use that if we have this idea of kind of faces and emotions and naming emotions um, and our learning objective being to do this really early restorative work of kind of empathy development of that social emotional learning of developing that vocabulary around emotions that then is so critical. And you know, we see so many adults that really struggle with that, with naming um, 
feelings uh, when we're, we're holding these circle processes. Um, and so, you know, inspired in part by my daughter, you know, one thing that comes to mind is uh, the idea of an activity where you as facilitator are telling a story to the kindergartners. Um, so maybe reading a book, maybe telling a story from real life, and then pausing at different points to have the students identify the emotions of the characters. Um, what, you know, what is, if there's maybe three main characters, what, you know, this maybe one group is responsible for, uh, for one character and uh, pausing and saying, hey, group, you know, group, um, group Fred, <laughs> how is Fred feeling um, at this point in the circle? And um, maybe they have those cards or maybe they have a mass of different emotion faces that they can kind of identify through the story what feeling might be experienced by, um, by each character and, and kind of breaking up the story with that, with that experience. Um, is one idea of kind of a more um, engaged way to play with those faces in addition to the circle work. Yeah, I'll, I'll chime in. Um, the Lindsay mentioned there could be pointing to faces according to, you know, like <laughs> character, character Fred or character Fern and what they're feeling. Um, and they, the, story that's told could also be crafted specifically around a scenario that's coming up in the classroom. So this is another, so it's kind of like a meta opportunity. If there's something at play that you'd like to address, um, you know, maybe there's an issue with turn taking, an issue with pushing in line or, you know, masks or whatever the case may be removing removing the intensity by making that the same scenario that's being told in the story and having these characters that represent something um, that's playing out in the room will um, engage engage the children to be able to think about, oh, how is that other, you know, how's that character feeling? One of the things that um, I think about that's available in this is if it's, um, if it's just a verbal story, then there's a lot of imagination, right? Then I'm imagining just based on hearing the story what character Fred might be feeling. If it's visual, then there's this opportunity to do that really critical thinking about what a facial expression means. And as the children are maybe pointing using a mask um, or even moving about the room, like maybe there's you know these faces spread out across the, the room, they're also beginning to identify that um, we don't all interpret things the same way. So what I think might be a character's shock, that character is shocked or surprised. Um, Lindsay might identify that that character is distressed or lonely. And so there's um, also that um, acknowledgement of we're all seeing the world in different ways. And I think that could be a conversation you could unpack more if you were using this with slightly older children as well of like, hey, you went, um, 
too embarrassed uh, from this, you know, story, but I went to happy. What does, you know, what, uh, what does that mean about how different people experience things differently and have different emotions arise? Um, I also, I just want to say, I love Kathleen, this idea of um, moving to different, like having the emotions um, in different, you know, corners of the room or different spaces in the room, and then almost having the participants, the students, the little children uh, follow the emotional journey of a character. So this happens, how might this person be feeling? And you're walking to the surprised space and then this happens. And now, now what is this you know, character likely feeling? And you're moving with them on their journey of emotions um, to these different areas in the room that represent the different emotions and having, you know, having some dialogue, some discussion of, of why are they feeling that way? How might we know they're feeling that way um, as you're moving through their emotional journey, um, which then it's fun because it's a story. Maybe it's a silly story. You know, I would say make it, make it funny, make it have kind of all the highs and lows <laughs> of a good story um, and humor of a good story. Uh, but it's also good practice for what we just do in life, right? Of, of noticing that my neighbor just had this really hard thing happen. And so I can anticipate how they might be feeling right now and think about what it's like to feel that way and how I might um, act to kind of repair some of the, the hurt that they're experiencing and that really basic um, empathy development and putting yourself in other people's shoes that's so, so fun fundamental to restorative practices work and, and fundamental to life. Yeah, I'm thinking about a young man um, whose whose case I was a facilitator for years and years ago. I think he was probably 11 or 13. And you know, it, when we were trying to identify harms, how how the neighbor was affected um, by by what had happened, uh, he he resorted to happy, sad, mad, happy, sad, mad, happy. Sad, everything was happy, sad, mad. And um, I, I understood that that was uh, where he was at. And he also was, um, he was fairly shut down. Like, can I just, can I just get over this? Can I just get through it? Um, and I, I think often about how do we, how do we effectively help young people to broaden and, and create a more nuanced understanding of those harms um, and that's, I think, what we're what we're getting at here is to really say, you know, I love that the cards Lindsay showed has the happy, sad, I think, angry at the top, and then the the many different um, nuanced variations within each of those kind of main categories. Yeah. So you know, when it comes to this kind of designing the experience, that's that's going to depend a lot, right, on exactly what is the age group, what is the exact, you know, thing I want them, um, want them to, you know, experience or, or some of the learning that I'm hoping to uh, create opportunity for. Um, and then also, you know, maybe if you're running the same activity with the, the same group, you're, you're changing it, you're making it a little more difficult, um, adding a an element of a team of people who are discussing together how, you know, how this one character might be feeling in the moment, um, which, you know, then is, is creating the opportunity to maybe have a more difficult conversation and consensus building practice that's, that's built into the activity, the game as well. Um, 
So uh, I think Kathleen and I talked about we're, we're restarting our game of the month um, in May. And so we talked about, you know, playing with this idea, fleshing it out a bit more, writing it out a bit more and, and sharing it. So we can, we can do a few different versions in that. And we'd love to hear what ideas, maybe even in the chat as we're having this conversation, um, you know, what kind of ideas are coming up for you, how, you know, what creative sparks are, are going off. Um, with you know this kind of starting point and like I said we'll, we'll keep using some of the other learning needs even just before this call we were um, messaging back and forth about another learning need and a possible idea for an activity and so it's in the works and we're excited to be back we had just a, a brief um, break since I had um, just given birth and felt like I needed a little bit of space um, but we're really excited to be back to it um, but now kind of moving to designing the debrief uh, what we try to do here is think about what are the questions that are really going to help the group to internalize the learning and then also open it up to things that are going to be a surprise for us as facilitators. You know, what is the unexpected learning or dialogue or conversation um, that uh, that might come out of this? And um, so really open questions, right? The open-ended questions that we're all great at as restorative practitioners of, you know, what what was it like for you to, to put yourself in the shoes of the character? Um, you know, how does this relate to your life and your experience? Um, what was challenging? What did you find easy? And once again, those debrief questions need to be kind of tailored to the age group that you're working with, um, but creating space to open up a dialogue about the shared experience that just unfolded. What would you add, Kathleen? Yeah, you know, one of the things I was thinking about is, I, and I, I kind of referenced this before, but asking that question of, you know, do, do we all feel the same thing when one thing happens to all of us? And really, you know, again, like with, with the little littles, that might not be like a deep and lengthy conversation, but just touching on um, each of us reacts differently, each of us sees and feels the world differently. You know, what happened when maybe you disagreed if, if they're working in groups? What, what if you thought differently than your friend about how the character was feeling? What was that like? What did you learn? Um, and then maybe for, for some of the older age groups, you know, how, how does this game help us live our lives? How, how does this help us see the world? Um, we're, we're always looking, if you'll notice, <laughs> we emphasize a lot in the book, the importance of the debrief, um, because sometimes when we just do a game or activity and don't circle back to the learning and the reflection, it just ends up feeling like an icebreaker. And icebreakers certainly serve a purpose, um, and yet what we're trying to offer is, is different than an icebreaker activity. Um, so really, like Lindsay said, using those open-ended questions to try to like sync up, to reflect back on what was this all about? And then that final step, so important, um, especially when we're designing new games and activities is always just to try it out, see how it goes, review, um, you know, where, where it needs to be strengthened, improve it, keep refining, um, which is just a lot of fun. And if you're designing your own activities um, or games for, for your community, we'd love to be part of that um, kind of 
thought process too of, you know, share us, uh, we'd love if you share uh, what you came up with, how it went, um, you know, and how we might be able to be helpful. Um, we've had a couple people actually reach out wanting to share games that they designed through our game of the month um, email. And so we've had a few games that, that folks just wanted to get out to the wider restorative practices community, which we, we were excited to, to do. Um, and that kind of just space for, for sharing with each other has been really special. So I'm gonna stop sharing so we can come back together, um, but hopefully that gives a little bit of a taste of how something can kind of spark and unfold. Um, and, you know, I personally am excited to try this. I don't unfortunately have access to a kindergarten classroom, but I'll have to play with my daughter and <laughs> maybe some of her friends um, to try it out. Yeah, and that last step is so is so crucial, you know, so we, any anytime you try something new like this, anytime Lindsay and I try something new, we are debriefing <laughs> with each other and then thinking, how will we do it next time? When we work together closely at LCJP, we almost never delivered the same exact game twice. Um, there were always little tweaks and adjustments. And um, so that's that's part of the creativity. And, and we want to invite you all to be gentle with yourselves. If it gets a little sideways, if it gets if you play out of the box, it's likely to get a little out of control and rowdy. And that's OK, too. And yet you might need to um, prepare your learners differently next time if if things are kind of chaotic uh, and you're feeling like you need to, to have sort of more of a direction. Um, I wanted to add that there were a few comments uh, in your learning needs about how to work with adults, um, adults who might be resistant, like, why are we doing this? We don't need this. This is for the kids, right? Like that comes up a lot in schools work. We're going to do this with our students, but we don't really need it for ourselves. Uh, and in our conversation, Lindsay and I had had an idea um, for an activity specifically around that theme. Um, and so that we we chose not to talk through that tonight because we're realizing that there are going to be people who just listen to this recording and don't get to see us. And the idea that we had would involve using something that's visual. So stay tuned. If you share that learning need, um, it'll be coming back around uh, and you can you'll you'll be able to find it in our on our website probably in a few months. So I'm, I'm wondering if we want to. Um... Well, either if if folks, you know, through the chat or through unmuting themselves have, have things they want to add to the game, um, we'd love to hear your creative ideas, or else we could move into, you know, questions and more of an open dialogue with the full group, um, if that works for you, Molly. Well, that's wonderful. And don't forget, we did promise a book raffle tonight, mm -hmm. and I am prepared to support that. So... We have a fun little wheel of fortune tool that I'm gonna share, um, but Lindsay and Kathleen can prompt us as to win. So hang tight. Um, now, if, if you're not present, you can still win. Um, we have everybody's names on the wheel of fortune. I'll just show you because it's fun. So I'll show you what, what we've got here, if I can get the screen correct. And then we'll go into, um, some Q&A and, and adding to the game 
as they mentioned. So let's just see here if I can get that screen up. Speaking of great games, Wheel of Fortune. I yeah, we're, we're going to design it. And this is by first name basis only to protect, you know, because we honor your privacy. And so can everybody see our little Wheel of Fortune there? Um, so at a certain point before we conclude tonight, we're going to play a little bit and give away some books. Okay, I'll give it back to you guys. And, and also just honoring people's needs around how you'd like to ask questions. Um, if you'd like to keep your camera off, please, by all means, do that. And also, if you'd like to submit your questions in the chat, I'm watching it and will do my best to tend to those tonight. Um, and of course, you can also raise your hand or simply even just open up your mic if you feel like there's a pause and you can just chime in, okay? So um, just wanting voice and choice to happen and comfort, comfort for you to feel um, like you can share as you wish. I'd love to highlight Arlene and in India shared a really fun idea around having children draw emojis and placing them around the room um, and how that could um, work with someone who's hearing impaired uh, and that also the art activity could be part of the whole process. Um, Maestra Sandra, thank you for asking about providing resources in Espanol and Spanish. Lindsay and I are both Spanish speakers, so I'm now kind of scratching my head at how we haven't done this yet. <laughs> um, and yes, this is, thank you for, thank you for asking because it's so important. Sorry. Sorry to interject, but I can feel that it's only a matter of time that this book will be on the Espanol. So. And we, we were so honored to learn that the book has been translated into Korean. So Spanish is right behind. We need to get that figured out. Um, but thank you for mentioning that. And then I did see earlier, there was a comment from Tibby in the chat um, asking about activities where, um, in a facility where people can't touch, restrictions on touching. Um, and there are, uh, thank you for raising that, um, that. It would be such an honor to know that some of these activities are going into correctional facilities. Um, and there are a number of activities on our website that don't require being very close or touching. Um, a lot of it is, um, it, a lot of it is happening in circles or groups and there's movement. Um, but I actually think that there's very few that would actually require people to touch each other. That's all I've caught up on on the chat so far. <laughs> and um, let's see, Isabel is asking, what is the Korean title? She'd like to share it with her colleagues. Do we know it yet? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think we know. Um... If you wanted to send us an email, we can let you know as soon as we know they were going to send us a copy um, once it's complete, but I don't know now. Um, the, the, the Korean translation isn't on our website yet, but it will be once, once it's available. Um, it's being translated now. Yeah. Um, so Pe Pepper is asking something here. Thank you, Pepper. I'm curious about this too. Um, how do you use guidance on breathing, if at all? Is that a part of this? And what, what are you seeing happening around that? It seems like a, a kind of a popular way to 
open up a space for a lot of people. And some people feel it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I would say um, from my experience, there's definitely a piece of um, knowing, knowing your community and thinking about how to invite people to try something that might be uncomfortable, or maybe people are very comfortable. Uh, Lindsay and I live not too far from Boulder, Colorado, where there's a lot of breathing prompts uh, in community spaces. A lot of grounding comes up. Um, I think, you know, always leaving it as, um, as you know, it could be as simple as modeling. I, I find myself modeling a lot, like letting people know that I'm taking a breath, taking a pause. Um, there's a beautiful tool in our book from Annie O'Shaughnessy um, that has the acronym PAIR. It's about taking a mindful pause as an integral part of a restorative practice. Um, and I, I just can't thank Annie enough for bridging those worlds, making a really clear connection between mindfulness and restorative practice. And of course, breath and breath work is part of mindfulness. Um, and I think what I've seen, the more that you invite and just sort of like, oh, this is what we do. Let's take a breath. Oh, or let's, uh, something that Lindsay and I used to do a lot when we were working together, shake things off, right? Like some of our, some of our games ask people to share pretty vulnerably. And so after sitting and speaking, let's all get up together and shake or, you know, do some jumping jacks. Let's take some breaths, just putting it out there. And I think modeling is always really important, inviting people to try it out and never forcing people. And I just want to thank Isabel for being here all the way from Korea and her, her group of, of people, um, the RCDA, Restorative Circle Dialogue Association. Thank you so much, Isabel, and all of you over there um, doing such important work. And it was lovely to meet you earlier last year. So, And I'll say that we would love to continue to connect and share ideas and games. That sounds so great. Um, just one, one more piece to add on the breathing question, yeah, I think, and I was going to mention Annie's work as well, which is just outstanding. Um, but I think a lot of times what, what people are trying to accomplish uh, when, they're, when they're inviting a deep breath at the beginning is some um, experience of kind of separation of moving into a different space, a different way of being together, um, which <laughs> put on my like ritual studies hat you know, that's, that's referred to often as like a separation mechanism in a ritual. And that can look like a lot of different things. So the ones that, um, you know, we see a lot are like the deep breath or sometimes people lighting a candle or, you know, bringing focus into the center of the circle. But it can also be more subtle. If, if those feel like they're going to be um, experienced as uncomfortable to participants, then don't do them, in my opinion. There's a lot of different ways that you can achieve that separation of bringing people into a different way of interacting with each other into a different space. Even as simple as just the tone um, and how you're approaching and kind of slowing down um, your own pace and, and you know, um, setting up kind of community values or guidelines is another way of kind of shifting people into a different way of being together. The placing of chairs in a circle um, 
just that kind of structural element brings people into a different way of being together because it's different than what we're used to, all the different squares and rows that make up our normal life. Um, so thinking about that, thinking about how am I going to help people really land, but it doesn't have to be something that might be experienced as uncomfortable to folks. I saw that Isabel asked to speak and I, I would love, uh, you know, Lindsay and I are happy to pause and maybe um, Molly, you could help us facilitate with anybody who might want to actually bring their voice into the space. We don't have to rely only on the chat. Thank you. Yes. Um, Isabel, welcome. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It is so wonderful to be here. Molly, thank you for organizing this. Lindsay and Kathleen, it's wonderful to meet you. And I just wanted to say one minute, still one minute, because so often because of the way that I look and because I'm based in Korea, in spite of us all doing our best not to label, it is so frequently my experience that people hesitate to think that I am fluent. I am just as fluent in Korean as I am in English. Uh, yeah, so I wanted to offer that and to announce myself as part of this community as well as one in Korea and that my intention is to be the bridge. For me, that matters a lot that our learnings can be done together. So thank you for listening to me. Mm. Yes, thank you so much. So important. Thank you for making that, giving us that clarity. That's so important. Very much honoring that. And um, so, shall we? Let's just open it up to other questions. Um, and Isabel, come back in as you can and wish. Um, and again, honoring the way in which you'd like to share tonight. Um, live questions in any way that feel, feel appropriate. And then we'll, we'll go over to our Wheel of Fortune as well in just a little bit. This is Tibby. I had a quick contribution to the game. Um, I loved that, um, that prompt and this idea of emotions is just, it's, um, it's really key and it's really important to me. And, um, I'm just kind of slowly learning how limited my emotion vocabulary is. I think it's so great to get kids started on it young. Um, one of the things that I have been um, exposed to is Mark Brackett's book, which is uh, Permission to Feel. And he puts emotions into four different quadrants. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking like you could, you could have a room where it was broken up into four quadrants by color. And so he has like the red emotions as being high energy, um, but low pleasantness, for instance. And you would have like a, a blue corner where it's low energy, but it might be pleasant. Um, and you could have the kids move to different areas of the room depending on um, if they think that it's pleasant or unpleasant or high energy or low energy. And it would get color and movement in there as well. 
Absolutely love that. <laughs> that's, that's great. I, I thank you for sharing that. I'm going to have to look up that model. That's, um, we have one activity called the social discipline window shuffle, where we make like a big social discipline window on the floor that people then move in um, based on different scenarios. And so um, I guess it's one of my favorite games that we have, you know, to circle back to that. And so thank you so much for sharing that model because I love that idea. Um, I think it would be a great way to structure it and also then makes this a game that could easily um, be played with adults that you're trying to give them a really embodied way of learning about that model as something to bring into their work um, and their interpersonal relationships as well. So thank you, I love that addition. And Tibby, Isabel is asking if you could please share the source you mentioned, if you're willing in the chat. And we're really trying to help um, build up some resources for people alongside and with this beautiful book. And again, please, if you haven't already purchased a copy, it's all over the internet. But even though Amazon is questionable in their intent, um, and I'll just say that, <laughs> um, they still have a lot of impact because of the um, ratings. And so if you would care to please also, after reading the book, um, provide Lindsay and Kathleen and Haley um, a review, that would be beautiful because it helps to expand the work worldwide. Really appreciate that. Um, Kolimi, uh, Kolimi, I hope that's correctly pronounced, um, says in the era of COVID, what are some of the ways to still have meaningful, meaningful circles? Masks are an impediment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. It's an important question. I could, I just ask to clarify, um, is that, are you saying masks are an impediment because it's hard for people to hear each other or hard because we can't read each other's expressions? Both. Both, okay, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I led a, um, a training a little while ago in person and I had 20 people in a circle, maybe more than 20 people with masks on and they were all six feet apart. And I was like, running around the circle to be able to hear everybody. And I realized I read lips a lot more than I ever recognized previously. Like that really changed my awareness of just like how strong my audio is without visual. Um, but yeah, I don't, Lindsay, do you wanna, do you wanna Try that one out. I'm. I, my first thought is smaller circles, um, but that still means that people are spread out, even if it's a smaller number of people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah, I think smaller numbers is great. Another thing I'll just kind of throw in that's kind of not fully answering the question, but um, one thing that we've tried to develop a lot of games and activities around is how can we do that deep relationship building work or creating a space for a, a dialogue that we use circles for all the time in other structures. So how can we have a game or an activity that fills the same purpose as a circle? So I think, um, you know, another way to approach this is to think about, hey, what 
you know, what other kind of game or activity structure um, could we use to get to the same place that a circle normally gets us? Um, and so I'd encourage you if, if you're interested to look at our website, especially under the relationship building games, because um, some of those, you know, do some of that same work, but in a different way. So in times where um, our ability to do circle fully um, feels impeded, there's other 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 um, methods to kind of get the same effect in the group. I'm also thinking if it's something you know if it's a if it's a question you're asking in circle that that requires you know several sentences of an answer, this wouldn't work as well. But if there's a way that you could ask questions that people could answer either by you know writing or drawing and holding it up in addition to speaking or if there could be some sort of movement, again, going back to that kinesthetic thing, if people could, we had a question one time um, at a staff meeting at LCJP where the, the question that was asked was, when you're facilitating a restorative justice process and you start feeling like you kind of don't know what's going on and things are getting escalated, what does it feel like in your body? an answer by showing us an expression in your body, not with words. Um, and that was, it was one of the most connective questions that I've ever experienced. It was also very silly. We got really silly with it, but we saw things in each other, the staff that already knew each other very well. Um, we discovered things about each other in a new way. Now, I will say, of course, asking people to move their bodies in that expressive way often requires people to have some trust built first. There's a bit of a social risk in that. So it might be something that you would lead into or lead up to instead of starting at that place. Monique has a, a really important question and Monique, um, let's come right back to your question. Um, I wanna run, I wanna spin the wheel. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited about giving away a few book copies. So let's uh, shift the energy for just a second um, and draw a couple names. How about that everybody? Does that sound good? And then we'll come back for some more questions um, starting with Monique's. All right, so. <laughs> I, lo I love giving away things, so it, just bear with me here. All right, so the, I'm just gonna click, and if it, hopefully the names that are drawn, um, that you're here tonight, but if you're not, um, definitely, as you will know, because you're listening to the recording, um, we'll be contacting you. So let's start, uh, I think we're, we're gonna give away um, five books. Is that okay, ladies? All right. So we'll, we'll do, let's say we'll draw um, three names right now and then two at the end tonight before we say goodbye. All right, ready? Here we go. All right, I believe he is here, yes. Okay, so the first winner is Ron, and I believe that's Mr. Ronald English from Charles, Charleston, West Virginia. Um, so we'll uh, be getting to you shortly with how to ship that to you. So that's so fun. Okay, awesome. All right, winner number two.
Janelle, congratulations, Janelle. Janelle, are you here tonight with us? If you are, give us a shout out. Okay, so um, that's winner number two. One more. Oh, and forgive me, Sandy. I didn't mean for that to reveal your entire name. Um, we had 245 people register for tonight. Thank you, everybody, so much. Um, we're going to draw two more before the night's over. Um, let's let's uh, switch gears back into question and answer period. Um, and let's start with Monique's question, which is a critical one. Um, let me just come back to it, Monique, for you. Thank you for your permission to share it. She says, uh, what has been your observation of how facilitators match the energy, strong emotions that may be more present among some people of color, especially African-Americans? My observation of that, thank you for that question, um, has been varied varied uh, ways of um, responding to different expression of emotion and energy from any different identity group um, with sometimes flexibility and, and um, curiosity and sometimes not so much, sometimes more responsiveness that, that I would say is, um, coming out of discomfort or a lack of familiarity that is a response of trying to control. Um, this is something that we also mentioned briefly in the book is um, the need to know yourself as a facilitator. Chapter five, please don't skip it. Um, this question of how much can I enter into the space with what I was mentioning before, like humility to admit that I don't know what I don't know. And how am I going to be willing to, you know, either consider my own blind spots or work together with my co-facilitator, my, my colleague, my partner, to try to learn about those blind spots. Um, I think in everything that we do with restorative practices, it, whether we're, we're facilitating circle keeping teaching, um, a racial lens, a cultural competence and competency lens is absolutely necessary and required. And if I find myself reacting with some discomfort or judgment, or it shouldn't be like this, it's likely that I don't really understand what's going on in the room. And Curiosity is so crucial here. Asking myself, why did I react that way? Asking others in the community, wow, this is something that I observed. I, I really want to open up my own understanding so I can support what I'm seeing in this community um, in an inclusive way. And also to be authentic about who I am, not trying to change who I am to try to match what else is happening around me that might be different um, and being, being willing to learn, to, to, to say, and, and of course, like I think um, 
if I'm the person who's witnessing a facilitator who maybe is reacting in that controlling and oppressive way, um, expressing some degree of dominance, it could be internalized dominance from, from privilege and power, um, that I have a responsibility to pull them aside and to talk to them about that and to engage with that spirit, spirit of curiosity and compassion. Um, I think that because in restorative practices, we've got a lot of tools about how to be vulnerable and how to um, not insist that there's only one way of doing things. We need to stay really true to that um, and ask those questions uh, so that in this incredibly beautiful and diverse world, um, we're, we're looking for what what th those assumptions or biases that we hold when we come into the space. Lindsay, do you want to add to that? One just quick thing that I'll add is um, one of the activities that we developed this year is based on the book White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo, which I, I know people have different opinions of. I personally found that book really helpful um, as a white woman restorative justice facilitator. And we um, designed an activity you know, in part, in very large part for our own benefit and something that, um, you know, has been useful to me going through thinking about some of, some of uh, her work, some of the points brought up in the book, but then in the context of, um, you know, restorative work and an activity that kind of guides you through some of that introspection. Um, and so just to, to plug that for other, um, particularly white facilitators. We hope that you find it helpful. I'm very open to feedback on that one as all others, but just I personally um, have found that activity helpful. Um, so yeah, that uh, just to say that I think that's, that's one need um, that we wanna continue to do our best to offer different possible structures um, to respond to in large part for our own, our own continued growth and benefit. Um, and I am so sorry. I, in the interest of just bringing my full self to this, um, I need to I need to duck out just a little bit early from this conversation because I just got a text that the the eight week old baby needs me. <laughs> so um, pressing pressing me. So I'm sorry to miss the final uh, few questions and the wheel of fortune. But just thank you so much, Molly, for for yeah, having me. Thank you. To and by all means, um, take care of your little ones. Um, and congratulations for this book and more importantly for the new life that recently came into your family. <laughs> Thank blessings you. to your family today and um, let us know how we can support your work in any way. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for being with us. And uh, we'll stay on for just a, a few more minutes. Um, wanna honor everybody's time tonight as well. And of course, Kathleen's too. And if, if I might just add one little quick piece to what Monique asked from my experience um, in online spaces and in general, um, as a white privileged woman, my work has been to learn how to approach these spaces, receiving the energy, whatever it may be that arrives, especially from people of color um, as an honor. And that I'm in a, I'm in a space of receiving that energy in a good way so that it can be present and expressed in whatever form it's supposed to come. 
Um, and I, I haven't always done a great job at that. Um, I've learned from it um, as best I can. And, but I, I do want to encourage us as white privileged people in this field to consider it an honor to receive that energy instead of to run from it um, mm -hmm. or to crumble under it because that, that is very important. Um, so that's, that's a little bit more than uh, just a quick uh, comment, but that's my invitation to us all. And that's the work I'm doing on myself. Um, so Monique, I hope that that, um, is there anything else that you wanted to add to that question? Just wanna come back to you. If you wanna put it in the chat, I'll, I'll come back. Um, and of course, there's been some great comments here in the chat. Um, we just wanna make sure we're not missing anything. If, some, if we've missed somebody, would you be willing to put it back in um, the queue here at the top because we have such a wonderful large group with us tonight? Um, Monique, coming back to you. Oh, and please unmute. Got it. There you go. So thank you for that input. That was really helpful for me um, because I always think of that all the time when I'm dealing with some of the children that I work with. Um, we have predominantly African-American children and they're um, children with behavioral and emotional issues. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times the way things are presented to them and the way that they feel respected or accepted for their energy or their emotions is so important to them receiving our, the message that we're trying to send. And so um, that feedback was really helpful for me as a person who sees that happen a lot of times where they don't feel accepted and so the message doesn't get sent. Yeah. Um, so, but the other side of that is being an African-American educator with children who have sometimes emotions that are a lot stronger or less controlled than mine as an educator, sometimes it creates conflict from for interactions that I have with them too. So I think that the, the, um, the response of knowing yourself is so important for not only people who are different than the audience or the group that you're working with, but also people who are similar but have different ways of expressing themselves. So I just wanted to share that so that I make it clear that I'm not just asking for you as a non-white or a white person is, you know, what your responses or what your observations are. I'm actually coming from a place of, you know, adults interacting with people who are different than themselves. So mm -hmm. thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for that clarity. Yeah, thank you. I had the, the real honor and privilege of working with children with autism it was one of my first jobs out of undergrad. I worked really closely doing behavioral and language therapy. Um, and it, it was one of the most um, humbling and enlightening experiences I ever had. They were, the children I worked with were nonverbal. And so um, to be able to check my assumptions and to pause and to create more space, like if I didn't create space, I wasn't ever going to catch their subtle forms of expression and communication. Um, there were these moments that were so rich, but if I was always busy, busy trying to tell them how to be and what, how to talk or how to act, how to express, I would have missed so much of what they really had to share in a much more subtle way. So yeah, thank you for, oh gosh, there's, there's so much um, for us to discover in those, in those relationships.
Uh, I want to just uh, thank you again, Monique, and um, shift over to something that Christopher said in the chat. Uh, he says he's been holding circle at parks, socially distanced, without masks, and recently partnered with a horse therapy farm that allows my program to hold circle at the farm. That's extraordinary. And I also happen to know that Chris and his team in North Carolina are using therapy dogs, which is something that a colleague of ours, Kathleen um, Patty Latai, has really brought forward here in the state of Colorado and, and it's, it's spreading. Um, she has a book called Pause for Peace and therapy animals coupled with restorative practices are a wonderful opportunity to help, um, help with regulation depending on permissions and you know everybody has a say whether that dog's gonna be there with, with their person. But, um, well, Kathleen, I feel like we're winding down. Um, do you wanna take maybe one more question or two and then we'll draw two more names before we say goodnight? I did, I, I just caught, I've been trying to scan the um, chat and I saw that Isabel wanted to offer a quick way um, to connect people to speak in Zoom circles as though they had a talking a talking piece. So Isabel, would you like to share that with us? I'd love to hear. Of course, uh, I do this um, without knowing the content of your site or the book. So perhaps this is something that everybody knows, but I, I must say I, I came up with the idea here on my own. So I'm hoping that it is something new. So as you all know, there are many ways of, of rotating, going to the right, going to the left, or naming somebody, or doing it in a popcorn form where everybody volunteers. But so many times in the circles, there are times when we are all sitting sort of wondering who's next, right? Who's, who's going to speak next? So one way that I came up with was, as we all know, we create our own talking sticks. I'm using this one. And I'm using the fact that the closer you go to the camera, the larger it becomes. So you can even use your fist at here. So what I do is if I am calling you out, Kathleen, and, and you know that, I'll say, Kathleen, I'm complete, Kathleen, and I'll take it nearer to the camera, covering my face. And yes, yes, that's what you do. And then I'll draw it back and you will, you will draw it back afterwards. So that way it's like connecting the two of us. And that's been fun for me. That's it. Hope that helps. I wonder if you have it already. Thank you so much. That's beautiful. I, I love that. And um, such a fun, yeah, there's this, these interesting things that we can do to take advantage of the, of the camera. Um, another fun thing that I learned from a group I was working with was um, to pass, like if I, if I'm in, in a Zoom circle, um, I, I can say, and you could do this in person too, like I, I pass with respect to Isabel or I pass with compassion to Isabel um, just to add something to the connective realm um, to kind of add, some, add something to it since we're not actually getting to pass right next to each other. Thank you so much, Isabel. And um, that was beautifully demonstrated too. I love that. We practiced. Some, <laughs> some of the most simplest things, right? But you did it with such beauty and grace. Um, I bet people are really happy to, I know they are to see that. So um, we have another hand up. Evelyn, welcome. Hi. Hi. 
Thanks, Evelyn. Nice to meet you all. This is wonderful. I've really enjoyed your book um, throughout the I year. It's been you. exciting. Um, but to add to that talking piece is also inviting the participants to bring their own talking piece. So then being able to pass it on, they're already holding the fact that there's that intention, that it's something that's special to them and acknowledging that everyone is holding something special when you talk. So when you're sending the talking piece is already that sentimental aspect of feeling um, connected to it. So I loved it and I've enjoyed the evening and the journey in the book and the emails. It's been fun. Thank you. You're doing great work in the world. Thank you. Thank you, Evelyn. Thank you, Evelyn. Beautiful. All right. Um, just pausing for anyone else that might have a burning question before we go back to our wheel of fortune. Well, it's, it's always a privilege and honor to host you all. And of course, tonight, what a, a wonderful honor to host you, Kathleen and Lindsay, who hopefully is tending to her baby um, at this moment. So let, let's run on over back to our wheel and then we'll just have a fun like checkout closure tonight and uh, close it up. We'll be of course, sending you all the recording from tonight and um, Hopefully, maybe throw in a few resources, Kathleen, um, including links too, to make sure everybody is directly connected with um, Lindsay and Kathleen. All right, so here we go back. We're going to draw two more names and we'll make sure to reach out to the people who've won directly um, to get your preferred mailing address. Here we go. Winner number four is coming right up. Karen. And since we had probably more than one Karen, I will um, make sure that the, it's the correct Karen. But congratulations, Karen. Again, in, in light of wanting to take care of privacy for everybody, um, try not to reveal last names of, of our participants tonight. All right. And winner number five. is Chris. I think Chris might still be here. Chris, are you still here? Chris, North Carolina, I believe. Um, so congratulations to our winners. And that's been really fun to share with you tonight. Um, by the way, you. you're welcome, Chris. The tool, the tool that we used for this fun activity for the giveaway is called Wheel of Names for anyone who's interested. And um, Kathleen, did you have uh, anything that you'd like to share just in closing? And then um, a nice way to check out tonight, which is an activity that you probably do in the book too. <laughs> check out videos, right? Um, yeah, gosh, let me think. Um, well, I guess just to close, I, I just wanna express appreciation. Thank you all for, spending your evening together. Um, thank you for sharing your comments in the chat and your support for the book. There's, uh, of course, Lindsay and Haley and I did not write this for ourselves. <laughs> we really wanted it to reach many, many people. And um, 
we, as we've already said, we'd love to hear from you. We've also, um, at times we've had a fair amount of activity on our Facebook page. So if you're on Facebook and you wanna share your comments or experiences, highlights, um, it's just restorative teaching tools on there. Uh, and I guess, Molly, are you saying, would you like me to ask like a closing question to, that people could answer in the chat? That's that's where I'm going with this. Is that what you're saying? Anything that feels good and and um, ties up the evening with everybody in a good way. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that opportunity. I would love if everyone is willing to write in the chat um, one word or phrase about something something that resonated for you that you heard tonight? What's something that really struck a chord or something that you're going to take away um, from what you heard from everyone who spoke this evening? And if you could um, share that in the, in the chat, then we can all see it um, as we make our way back out into our evenings. Wonderful. And while we're doing that, uh, just to lead us out, I'm going to play a little music. Okay. So take your time for a moment to think about this, uh, what you might like to, to put in the chat. And um, just again, a, a deep bow to Lindsay Pointer and to Kathleen McGoey, extraordinary souls who really devote their time and their love to creating something um, to, to really impact our systems and our practices personally and otherwise. Um, and of course, Restorative Justice on the Rise shares that passion of inspiring and connecting you. And we hope um, that we'll be able to offer even more events like this in the near future. And please make sure to, to contact Lindsay and Kathleen at their website. And on that note, let's bring in a little Stevie. And um, let's do our checkout. Meet your next pillow. Why do we make our pillow in the shape of a cube? I'll tell you. <laughs> All right, here we go. Thank you, Molly. Also, I just wanted to say thanks for this opportunity. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. And um, as we go out, if you feel moved to check out, please do. We'll see you next time. No